and welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. We are going to be talking a lot about train travel today. There are innovative new services both here and in Europe. My second guest, Catherine Bennett, wrote wonderful articles on that topic for both the Washington Post and Afar Magazine. And one of my favorite guests is back. He is Jason Cochran. He's the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com, and he recently took a new train in Florida. Hey, Jason, welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. Hello, Pauline. Always nice to be here. So it's kind of weird to be discussing train travel in Florida. This is really innovative for that state, right? Hey, it's innovative for the United States period. Yeah. Um, and I'm so I'm really I'm really thrilled that it's it's happening. You know, people were saying that the Brightline train in Florida wasn't going to work. It's a privately funded effort. They said people would rather drive, people would rather fly, but it, you know, since it started going uh or in uh, a couple of years ago, but it's been expanding ever since. It's given more than 4 million rides. So huh. people are responding to the Brightline train as it expands in Florida. And, and Brightline is now looking to add another route from Las Vegas to Southern California. So this looks like it could be the uh, sign of new things that are coming to the United States. And we, we took it last uh, in, in December. So and we think it'd probably be a great thing if more Americans had this sort of access to. Uh, yeah. Well, before we get to before we get to what it is like to, to ride it, not only are people taking the train. It's profitable for Brightline, right? They're making money. Yeah, it's already profitable. That's what they report, which is incredible because uh, you know we, I, I, you know, I took it again with, uh, and I didn't find that they were cutting any corners. It was very nice. So the fact that they've been able to make a nice train that's comfortable and cool when it's hot out, and with all the bells and whistles that you would expect of a quality long distance service, and still come out profitable, I'm pretty impressed, and I hope it continues. Well, what I loved about your article, which you had on Fromers.com, which you kept comparing it to flying or driving. And the nice start stuff starts at the train station, right? This isn't one of those seedy, dated train stations where, you, you know, you're, you're a little yeah. nervous and you're holding on to your bag tightly, right? Exactly. Well, one of the reasons I think people were critical of it before it had debuted is because they didn't know what it was going to be. Because I think Americans are used to the Amtrak experience, which, you know, in the last 50 years has not been always the most luscious way to travel and the stations right. haven't always been so nice or well-tended. But these are, and these are Brightline stations that, uh, that they've, built uh, all along the route that they're that they've got going on in Florida. Now, let me explain. Brightline now starts in the Miami area and it goes all the way up to Orlando. That is what about 200 something miles, I guess. It would take you 4 or 5 hours to drive it in its entire length, but it takes you, you know, about 3 3 and a half to take it uh, uh, on the Brightline instead. And uh, it has a multiple stops in all the major towns and cities along the route, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. We just opened one in Boca Raton, there's one in Palm Beach ending right now at the Orlando airport. So then you can jump off the train and get on a plane or take any of the many varieties of transportation they have at the Orlando airport, which are a lot given that it's uh, the biggest tourist city in the United States. Lots of rental cars available there. Right. And so you can use this 
say you find a cheaper flight into Miami than into Orlando and you decide to add in that spectacular city, you can then use this and not have to rent a car for Orlando. Yeah, so Florida uh, is, weird, is weird in Florida, by the way. You know, Miami prices can be pretty expensive out of Miami. We, I think people assume the airport has lots of flights, so therefore it's quite affordable. You, it's actually not. Miami is, is quite an expensive airport in a lot of ways. Fort Lauderdale ends up being a cheaper airport in some ways. But Orlando, because of the volume of Europeans coming to the theme parks, you get some really good European deals there. And also a lot of Europeans coming to the United States will go to Miami or go to Fort Lauderdale want to go to their theme parks in Orlando, but are afraid to rent a car, fight the interstate system, fight traffic and the crazy drivers. So this is a real boon for European visitors visitors as well, who are sure. used to taking trains everywhere. To them, this is you know, second nature, being able to go see major attractions without having to rent a car. Uh, to Americans, it's sort of a brand new thing. And, and in Florida, by the way, even the flight between Orlando and Miami can be very delayed. It's, uh, you know, Florida's full of storms. So even the people who say they prefer to fly can sometimes spend more time getting between Miami and Orlando than they would if they just took the train that just debuted. Right. No, Orlando is notorious uh, for for having delays because storms can come out of nowhere. Four o'clock storms, almost like clockwork every day in the summer, and the the Miami has two o'clock storms. So it really plays havoc on the air system in Florida. So the only negative you had about the train, and I thought this was a major negative, is you can't look out the windows. <laughs> Why you is that? You, I mean, everybody knows if you get, you, we've taken rental car shuttles and buses where they put an ad on the outside and there's little yeah. tiny perforations because you, you can see out, but they've sold the space. That, that is a bit of a bummer. I mean, you can get an idea of what's outside, but it's not, it's not a sightseeing train. But the insides of cabins are pretty nice. They've got great Wi-Fi. They're very comfortable. They've got uh, staff who come up and down selling you drinks or snacks. Chairs are nice and big and reclined. Plenty of places to plug in. Uh, It's it's basically a a, a European version of a second-class carriage car, meaning not first-class, meaning it's just you get on, you go where you're going, and it's completely comfortable, and it does the job in a way that Amtrak you know, kind of hasn't been able to do with their outdated uh, trains that they've been running uh, for the last few decades. Right. Although, uh, you know what, let's say something nice about Amtrak that's about to change because of President Biden's infrastructure bill, which is funneling millions uh, to Amtrak. Amtrak service is about to improve drastically, I think. And it's good because it needs to. So I'm, I'm thrilled about that news too. But yeah, uh, the pipeline, absolutely. because it's privately owned, can do it faster and has done. Um, and right. I found that the, the, the trains, except for the fact you couldn't see out, very, very comfortable. And I, I got to say, not being able to see out of a window is kind of common in the travel space these days. I just wish huh. it wasn't. Yeah, that is a shame. I do love, you took a photo of the inside. I think it was your photo. I'm not sure. And it, it, it's, there's this groovy purple lighting that you, you uh, compare to what Virgin Airways used to look like. So so that's back, which I'm kind of happy about. I always like that groovy purple lighting. Yes. The the article is called Brightline Miami to Orlando, colon, taking the train to do Disney without a car. And all the photos are taken by us. So you know that it's it's not been airbrushed. It's all honest photos of what the experience is like. Now, you were in Orlando. And part of what you covered is uh, that there's going to be a lot of changes coming to Universal Orlando. You know, it's always an arms race between Universal and Disney World. Will Universal win soon? What are the changes coming to that theme park? 
you know, you and I could spend an hours long podcast on this topic. As you know, I write the Orlando Guide. And so I know, yeah. you know, what's going on in Florida tourism wise and what has been going on for about 50 years. Orlando is building, uh, sorry, Universal, which is Disney's main competitor in Orlando, is building a brand new giant state of the art billion dollar theme park. It's sort of one of those worst kept secrets because you can already see the roller coasters on the skyline in Orlando. They're even testing some of the rides already, but Universal huh. hadn't officially confirmed exactly what was going on until uh, this past week in which they finally named some of the things that are going to be happening in this new theme park. We knew the name of the theme park. It's called Universal Epic Universe. It's a couple miles away from the existing uh, Universal Orlando Resort theme parks, of which there are two plus a water slide park. So this will be its fourth when it opens sometime in 2025. And it started finally to explain some of the things that you're going to find inside as, as well as release some official artwork. We have a couple of those images um, on the front page of Fromers.com, this article that we've written about Epic Universe. But there's some interesting stuff. One of them is going to be a, a dual coaster, which is like when you there's two different roller coaster tracks. You choose, you know, you either get on one or the other and you race the other coaster. That's a fairly old concept in roller coasters. But this, when you combine the two tracks, it, it would be the longest single attraction, uh, roller coaster attraction in the world. It's going to be huge. Huh? And they sort of, they do all these interesting, fun maneuvers as they sort of dance around each other as they race along. That'll be called... Starfall Racers. You can already see it yellow way up on the skyline in Orlando where I was this week. Uh, people are very excited about it. Very cool. Yeah. What else is uh, what else is coming? There's going to be three new hotels. There's going to be a, another Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Um, if you recall, oh. there's the original first one they built is an Islands of Adventure. The second one, <clears throat> Diagon Alley, they built at the Next Door theme park. So you have to buy a ticket to get between the two. It's very clever. Uh, a marketing idea. There'll be a third Wizarding World of Harry Potter now at Epic Universe. So you have to buy that three-day ticket if you want to see them all. This one will be based on the Fantastic Beasts franchise, which of course is a spinoff of Harry Potter. They haven't been specific about what the ride will be, but we know it's going to be pretty extreme. Uh, and uh, so people are excited about that as well. And, you know, there's going to be a, a land that is devoted to Nintendo just as there is a, they've already opened in Universal or Hollywood, they're opening up a new Super Nintendo land where there'll be a Donkey Kong ride and a couple other new rides. There's going to be a land dedicated to the How to Train Your Dragon franchise. And I believe there's huh. a coaster in that one. And another land devoted to the old Universal Studios movie monsters of the 1930s. Interesting. Uh, you know, were werewolves and you know vampires and Frankensteins and that kind of thing. Do and all know? this going all together and basically it's going to be competing against Disney because yeah. Disney has four dry theme parks of its own. Now Universal has three. And let me tell you, they've poached a lot of the geniuses who used to work at Disney. Disney has been having a hard time in the last five or 10 years. It's been getting rid of its institutional knowledge, firing people, laying them off. They've gone to Universal. So huh. now all the brilliant minds who've been creating great theming and great looks and great rides for Disney over the years are doing it for Disney's competitor, Comcast, which owns Universal. So in 2025, when Epic Universe opens, we might really see a flip-flop of why people want to go to Orlando. I think people are going to start going for Universal rather oh. than Disney, because Disney has nothing like this in the books. They, you know, Universal's built this thing in record time. It'll be ready next year. Disney has no such plans to build anything like this. So even if they began tomorrow, it would take them half a decade. 
So I think we really could see when people talk about Orlando, Disney might even be second for a lot of people in the future. I don't want to get too political, but is this because Disney has been tangling with Governor DeSantis? No. Is it that they're going to be spending their fire part power in a different state, and that's why they're seeding no, Florida? They still are pulling in billions of dollars, resting on their laurels. From you know, basically the Gen X and older are bringing their kids to Disney because you know Gen X grew up with Disney and loved it, but the kids now are like, you know, it's fine. Disney's okay. Universal's more exciting. Uh, it's the, what the fight that they're having locally has more to do with the way Disney is uh, digging ditches and managing the sewers and and doing site inspections. And it still really hasn't even taken, have had a lot of an effect so far that can be identified. No, this is this has been going on. Um, this is the old arms race between the theme parks. This has been in the works for many years. And um, this is just uh, coming to fruition. People forget, maybe 30 years ago, Comcast tried to take Disney over. And, uh, and Roy huh? Disney, the son of one of the founders of the Disney Empire, had to fend them off. It was a big deal. That failed. But now Comcast has pretty much built an empire to rival Disney instead. This is an age-old competition that's happening here. It has nothing to do with politics. Interesting. Okay. Let's talk about one, two more subjects before I let you go. Lyft. They're doing something kind of dastardly, right? Tell us about what, what's happening with Lyft right now. You know, this is part of a larger story that we're going to continue to cover at Fromers. You know, when you when you get a you pick up a ride share like Lyft or Uber from a major airport, many major airports now have decided to levy their own extra fees. Orlando, it so happens, as we're talking about right now, has one of the highest in the United States. It's seven dollars per pickup if you want to hail a Lyft at the airport to take it to wherever you're going. The only reason you even know that's happening, though is from news reports, because Lyft will not break down your ride receipt for you. It won't huh. disclose that you've paid that fee. It won't disclose how many taxes you've paid. It just gives you the lump of how much the whole thing cost and then whatever you've tipped. There's literally no way, if you take a Lyft, to ask it, how much of that was added fees? How much of that went to the driver? They refuse to tell you, no matter what huh. you do. And if you go to the airport and say, hey, airport, what was the extra fee that I paid? They don't tell you. They don't disclose it on the website because in their view, well, we charge that to Lyft or to Uber and they pass it along to you. So it's their responsibility to tell you what that charge was. So basically, Americans are now catching all of these ride shares from airports. They're being stuffed with extra fees and they're never being told. So they can't do an accurate or fair comparison to another transportation option to see if that might have been a smarter buy. And unfortunately, right now it's legal to hide all of these extra charges, to stuff a bill with extra fees and not tell you. I contacted the Federal Trade Commission to say, hey, is it, is it okay that companies are, are not telling you what you paid in taxes, not telling you what their added fees were? And although the uh, Federal Trade Commission doesn't comment about specific companies because it wants to be fair and apolitical, right. it does tell us that generally speaking, if a company does not provide a complete and truthful information about its charges or if it misleads consumers, about its services or charges, it could be in violation of the law. So huh? we might see this come to a head sometime this year as more and more rules are serviced in the FTC and and um, and and more oversight is uh, executed from the, on the government side. This may not be a legal practice soon. 
But I want I want our readers to know that, um, and our listeners to know that, you know, when you catch a ride share at the airport, there that is the price you paid is not the market rate. It's there's a lot of extra things going into that that are being hidden from you, and it's not just Lyft. You know, it's not just Orlando Airport. It's um, it's all ride shares are having to 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 pay these extra fees, but the airports and, and the rideshare companies themselves don't tell you straight up. And I don't think that's so, quite fair. Yeah, because the, the title of the article was Lyft. So Uber is doing this too, or Uber are they a little bit more transparent? Uber tends to be a bit more transparent. I have an example in there uh, in the article that we wrote of a, a receipt in Seattle, which has another very high rideshare fee from its airport that Uber does disclose if you request a ride receipt. There's no way to ever find out the breakdown, though, if you go with Lyft. Uh, But but yeah, so this is something that's being charged to the airports that the airports are simply passing along, and nobody's taking responsibility for telling the consumer that they're paying it to begin with. (sighs) So that's on Firmers.com. That's some bad news. Some other bad news I shared, it is now near impossible in high season to get an affordable hotel room in New York City proper. And so I had to update uh, the Fromers.com article we have on that. I had to put in mostly New Jersey hotels. Most people coming to New York City want to see New York City. And because of a perfect storm, basically a, a law was passed pretty much outlawing Airbnb, VRBO, and other short-term rental options in the city, with the one exception of if the owner is simply renting out a room and staying on property, that's still legal. But overnight on September 18th, we went from 50,000 Airbnbs down to 7,000 of the second type where the owner is on, on site. So that was happening. And also a lot of the less expensive hotels are being used to house migrants in New York City. New York City has a shelter law passed in the 1980s, so we've had this for a while, uh, that anybody who asks for shelter has to be given it. And because we've had so we've had this huge tsunami of migrants coming, many being sent by Texas or Florida or other southern states, Mayor Adams turned a lot of the what what were the cheap hotels in my book <laughs> and on fromers.com into migrant shelters which i'm not necessarily against i i think it's humane to be offering shelter i i'm not saying that's a bad thing it is a bad thing though for tourists because literally overnight um it's become very difficult so i spent a lot of time traveling all over new jersey i only put in the New Jersey hotels that had quick and convenient public transportation into New York City because you don't want to spend your vacation commuting or paying the outrageous parking rates that we have in the city. Sure. I mean, and to a lot of visitors, the PATH train just feels like another extension of the regular New York City subway system. That's, yeah. you know, there's not essentially much of a difference. You just take a different subway into, this, into Manhattan. From Hoboken or Jersey City, so you're you're not in the city proper, but that's okay. I mean, it kind of reminds me of when you used to go to Long Island City, which actually is part of the borough of Queens in New York City. But even in Queens nowadays, uh, prices for hotels are literally outrageous. There are hotels that are charging 
$900 a night in high season. And in low season, those same hotels are $129 a night. And they really should be $129 year-round because that's the quality of the hotel. So tell um, me, and, and you, you may not want to answer this, but in high season, instead of $900 at some of these new options you found across the Hudson River, what's a more reasonable price in high season at these new places you found in this article? I did not include a single place that is ever over $240 a night. In high season. In high season. That's great. Yeah. So you, you're going to save significantly if you go to one of these New Jersey sites. So, And you might have a ferry ride across rather than a subway ride, which could be more fun for you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ferry is option is really lovely. I, w- we used to have our offices in Hoboken. So I did a review, first commute from uh, Manhattan to Hoboken. And what, the days I took the ferry, I loved it. It was, it was really scenic and pleasant and lovely. So yeah, some perks, some perks too. The Cheap Hotels for New York City in 2024 by Pauline, who personally went to every single property on the list so you can trust it. I did. I did. Yeah. Lots of, uh, I, I took a lot of public transportation for some of them just because I needed to see more in a day than, than I could have on public transportation. I was driving. A lot of them are just, you know, in the middle of nowhere. They're right off the sub, the highway. Those are the ones mostly where there's a bus into the city. So, you know, not the most scenic parts of New Jersey. And there's some beautiful parts of New Jersey. But it's $700. I'll take that bus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Really appreciate it. I'll see everybody soon. Catherine Bennett is a freelance writer and a train aficionado who has just written some really wonderful articles for several major publications about how trains in Europe are getting much better. Hey, Catherine, thank you so much for appearing on the Frommer Travel Show. Thanks for having me. So for the Washington Post, you wrote an article which was titled Testing Europe's New Night Train Designed with Solo Travelers in Mind. Mm -hmm. Tell us about this night train. Where does it go? And why is it so great for solo travelers? Okay, so this is a new connection um, run by OBB, which is the Austrian train, national train company. Um, And it's a new connection between Hamburg and Vienna Mm. and going in both directions. And the reason why it's so great for solo travelers is because it uses this kind of funky capsule hotel concept. So I don't know if you know the Japanese capsule hotels where you have these kind of, I suppose, kind of coffin-like bunks (laughs) or um, or apartments, if you want. And so this train uses that idea in that solo travelers don't have to be sharing a compartment with, you know, four or five other people where you have bunk beds on top of each other. Instead, you have your own compartment, but it's quite small. But Uh at least you get that privacy and you can lock the door and you can have your own space to yourself. That's pretty amazing. I remember when I was backpacking through Europe, every night, if I was going on an overnight train, I would very, very carefully put my passport and my money under my pillow or in some place where I didn't think anybody could get to it. Absolutely. Um, I've I've like hidden my passport, hidden my wallet in my bra while I've been sleeping on overnight trains. (laughs) You know, when you're traveling with other people, then you just feel safer doing things like that. Sleeping on your bag. 
and yeah, so this is quite this is quite re- revolutionary in that it provides that private space and and possibly an extra feeling of security for travelers. I think. Yeah, and it's not only revolutionary; it's pretty groovy. I mean, they they have like disco lights or not disco lights, but different <laughs> lighting that you can hit. Explain what this little capsule or coffin uh, <laughs> feels like or, and can do. So it's in a way, it's actually kind of nicer than the bigger compartments because you do actually get more space in the mm-hmm. sense that in the sort of traditional Obebe train style compartments, at least, then a normal night train compartment, you would have uh, three bunks on the left hand side of the room, three bunks on the right hand side of the room, and it's a six berth cabin. And if you're in the middle bunk, there is no way you can sit up and read your book sitting up, for example. So you have to wait for your for your compartment mates to to be ready to get up so that you can fold the seats up again so that you can actually sit up properly. Whereas with this uh, new capsule style, style compartment, you have a lot more space. You can sit up in them. You have your own little fold down table, which is quite nice. You've oh. got this funky little technical sort of dashboard thing where as you say you can change the lights in the capsule and you can cycle through a series of different colors so if you want a cool blue while you're trying to settle off down to sleep you can if you want a kind of like bordello red then you can have that as well Um, well before we leave that do you think it's because they expect people to be I don't know getting jiggy with it in these little capsules no I mean (laughs) <laughs> yes, you have more space to sit up, but I still think doing anything more than that would still be quite tricky. Um, okay. <laughs> that's saying that, it can actually be quite good for couples, because even though they're single birth capsules or compartments, if you want, if you book two capsules side by side, then there's a little kind of, um, how would I describe it? A sort of an opening at the end, a bit like a, um, like a trap door, kind of, um, ah. which you can open and look at your neighbor on the other side um, huh. so you can look across so if you're if you are traveling with a friend and you both want to have your own individual space but you right. can also open that little cubby hole right at the end and so you can sleep looking at each other if you so wanted oh well that's nice <clears throat> how expensive is this i have a friend who uh when he was younger went all over europe and what he would do was he would go on trains at night so he wouldn't have to pay for a hotel room uh is this still less expensive than doing that or does this cost roughly the same amount a hotel room would cost i think this is actually quite good value for money i mean as with most train services in europe you have to book far in advance or as far in advance as possible but when i was traveling then uh, and if you do book far in advance, the general price for one of these capsules will be around 80 euros. You and that and you also have the obviously you're also traveling at the same time. So you're getting right? from That's A to bad. B, but yeah. sleeping at the same time. So it's you know, it's it's um you're not wasting time by hanging around in an airport or anything like that. It's it's a lot more efficient, I would say. And it's not too expensive. Right. If you want to in the train, if you want to get some of the fancier cabins, there are also compartments that have ensuite toilets. Um, ah. then that will set you back a bit more. That will be around, I think we're looking at 150 euros. Right. Um, or even Still more than much. that, if you want even yeah. more privacy. And the train is somewhat basic. There isn't going to be a dining car on board, right? Or there's only breakfast. You, you, yeah. you have to bring your own dinner. And uh, I'm assuming they don't have like lounge cars where where they have the glass roofs. This is more utilitarian. 
yeah, this is not your your Orient Express kind of experience. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you especially if you're in the capsules, then you will need to bring your own dinner. Um, if you're in the compartments and you've booked a sort of premium berth, then I do. Then I think they offer you, as all Obebe trains do, they'll offer you a little bottle of Sekt, the sort of Austrian sparkly wine. Oh, very um, nice. Yeah, and with some nuts and, you know, some sort of bar snacks. But uh-huh. that's if you're booking the sort of premium compartment. If we're just talking about right. the capsules, then yeah, you bring your own dinner. And then in the morning, everyone gets more or less the same breakfast. In the capsules, that'll be your sort of basic fare of a couple of bread rolls, coffee or tea, and then some jam. You also wrote a wonderful article for Afar on <clears throat> Europe's top train journeys. And some of them sound so unique. I love the fact that you had a lot in Eastern and Central Europe. So one of the ones you picked was from Belgrade, Serbia to Bar Montenegro. Why Mm -hmm. did that one make the list? I think a lot of these train journeys, particularly in Eastern Europe, are ones that things don't, uh, ones that people don't necessarily think about. In right. that we all know about the beautiful little Cinque Terre train going between Italy's gorgeous sort of villages hanging over the cliffs. Sure. But we tend not to think about going to Montenegro by train or by night train. You just, if you just look at some YouTube videos of it or you look at images, you'll see that the landscape is truly stunning. Like it really yeah. is. There are these gorges, these incredible mountain passes. But it is long, of course. So I think as with lots of these journeys, again, this isn't going to be a particularly luxury experience, which is also... But wise. long but cheap. It was 11 hours for 24 euros. Yeah. Which is I mean, kind of mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah. You also talk about a train journey in Austria. Again, I think you start the article with that one. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so this is the Semming Railway. And this is... I think I think particularly for train buffs, this is one that train buffs should go on because this is historically very important. I I don't know how much I can say this, but I think of Austria um, as sort of the king of railways in Europe. And I kind of feel like this is where it started. Huh. This is one of the oldest railway lines on the continent and mm. is a World Heritage UNESCO site, World Heritage site. Um, and again, you're seeing these kind of incredible landscapes. You can imagine the sort of... Sound of Music style landscapes with lots of right. fir forests and an impressive and with, mountain landscape. With railway bridges and mm. tracks that were built in the mid-19th century. So that's where the history comes into this. Absolutely, yeah. And Corsica in France. This is not an area one hears about much. This will be our last one. What makes Corsica's a train journey so interesting? Well, Corsica is actually a destination where most people tend to rent a car. It's a relatively huh. small island, and when you go there, you also, like you will have a lot more flexibility in renting a car. But I think that visitors should should rem- should think about the fact that there are these railway lines which take you along the coast, so you have the sort of rugged landscape of Corsica to one side of you, and then the beautiful Mediterranean Sea to the other side. Yeah. And the good thing about this train is that it's a hop on, hop off, so you can. You can just travel on it for the entire day, hop on, hop off, explore different villages, hop off, get an ice cream, hop back on to get lunch (laughs) in the next town, explore different beaches along the way. I think it gives you a real sense of variety and a sense of of local life on the island, which you may not get if you're traveling alone in the car. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you brought it all to life. Thank you so much, Catherine, for appearing on the Frommer Travel Show. It's my pleasure. Thank you.
And that's it for this week's show. I thank you so much for listening. And to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage.